we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 16. Faith is a confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I really do appreciate the chance to open, it, open up God's word with you. I usually struggle so hard when I'm given a blank sheet of paper saying, like, you know, just teach whatever you want to teach, and this time it wasn't. Um, like many of you, it's January, so I'm in Genesis, and I hit chapter 6. Like, this is exactly what I'm going through right now, so I thought maybe some of you are too. So we're going to be in Genesis 6. You can go ahead and turn there. And it's so incredible, like, what um, Andrew is saying right between the two songs is just dead on. Of We are in a, in a generation where people are saying, pick your own truth, whatever feels right. We're going to live off of emotions and go that direction. So how do we... Um, how do we as Christians live righteously in a wicked generation? Because that is where that leads to. And where everybody's choosing their own truth, they choose what's good for them, which is usually um, uh, wickedness. We follow our hearts that are corrupted with sinful desires and sinful attitudes, so we end up living a lifestyle that's not correct, that's not pleasing to God. So how do we as Christians, hopefully, we want to live in a way that's different? We want to live in faithfulness before God from now to eternity. When God calls us home, I hope my desire is I want to be faithful to the Lord. I know that's your desire as well. So how do we live in faithfulness to God? I believe this passage gives us at least four. That's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at four ways that we can remain faithful to the Lord. So 
We're going to start in verse 5, but let me give you some context to where we are. So by the time we get to chapter 6, a lot has happened in the world. There's tons of people on the planet, and uh, Adam and Eve lived a long life, and they died. Um, and there's basically two, there's a lot of different children that they had, but there's two guys that you have to keep up with when you start reading Genesis, and that's, first of all, Cain, who killed his his brother Abel. So Cain, he despises the Lord. He turns his back on the Lord. He goes and starts up cities, and his family is despising the Lord and turning their back on the Lord. But there's another son whose name is Seth. And Seth loves the Lord, and you can see in his line that he's followed by uh, just men who are also dedicated to the Lord. But then you get to this climax in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is very interesting because you get to the place where those who were from the line of Seth start intermarrying with those of the line of Cain, and you have a problem. You have where people who knew better gave up the ways of the Lord, and they started following the ways of the world. And, this, um, and, and God sees what's going on, and in verse 5, you start seeing how does God describe the situation. So let's read. We're going to just do one chunk at a time through this uh, chapter. So let's read verses 5 through, uh, through 7, first of all. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and the birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I've made them. If you're taking notes tonight, the first thing that we're going to see that you have to do in order to live a life that is faithful to the Lord for the long run, is you have to see sin in the way that God sees it. We're going to say, understand sin as God defines it. If you start spending a lot of time in sinful things, you shouldn't be surprised when you start wondering if God was a little bit too harsh in his punishment on the world. Was God a little bit too harsh on Adam and Eve? Was God a little bit too harsh on the people who were in the time of Noah? That's because we don't understand what sin is all about. We don't understand the gravity of sin and the, the consequences of sin. But God sees everything. He sees the beginning. You see that in verse 5. That the, every intention of the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually. So maybe people were doing kind things at this time. But even their motivation for the things that were kind was corrupted by personal desires to, or just kind of selfish ambitions. So everything they did, starting with the thoughts, God sees the whole process. He sees the thought that's sinful. He sees the action that's sinful. But he also sees generation to come that are affected by the thought and the action. And he sees how sin corrupts the world. And so what he's looking at now is not a world that needs to be destroyed, but a world that has already self-destructed. He sees a world that was perfect, that he made different things and called it good. He made man and said that it was very good. But now sin came into the world because of the consequence of Adam and Eve who made that decision to sin against God. And now every human being has also made that decision just like you and I have. And because of that, the world has self-destructed. So God sees two things about sin that you and I need to understand. First of all, that sin is worth, that sin causes judgment, basically. The reason, it is a reason for judgment. If you sin, there is a consequence to that. There is judgment coming, and it's from the Lord who is good because he is loving, and because of that, he's not going to let injustice prevail. 
If he did, he, was no, he would no longer be a loving God. We have a problem with people saying that God of the New Testament is all loving, and the God of the Old Testament is harsh, and he's wrathful. There's two different personalities going on. It's not. <laughs> no, God, from the beginning to end, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want you to see a window into God's heart real quick. Verse 6, look at it, if you will. It says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord wasn't happy that he had a chance to destroy the earth. No. He understands that there needs to be judgment, but it grieved him. That's the two attitudes that you and I need to have towards sin. We need to understand that it is a reason to uh, cause condemnation. But if we get to the point where we're happy that someone's going to come under the judgment of God because of their sin, that's, we're not righteous. We have a problem. The problem is probably self-righteousness, but the problem is we really don't see sin as God sees it. So if we really are walking with the Lord, the things that we see around us is going to cause our hearts to grieve. When you're watching shows or listening to music or any kind of agenda pushing sin onto humanity and pointing a different direction, the reason you turn it off or switch it off shouldn't necessarily be, oh, I feel guilty for listening to this or watching this. I know I shouldn't. It should be because it hurts your heart, just like it hurts God's heart to see what's going on. Is it because God's weak and he can't handle these things? No, it's because he loves us, and he knows that sin causes, causes us to self-destruct. So first of all, we need to understand that sin, understand sin as God defines it, verses 5 through 7. But next, we need to seek the favor of God. So the whole world is completely corrupted except for a man. Who's that man? It's Noah. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't everybody that was completely uh, mis- that was completely bought into the lie of the world and they're, you know, just completely immoral and doing their thing. Noah decided to stand his ground. Noah was in the line of Seth, and he knew better, and he stuck with it. He was 500 years old at the point where God talks to him, but there was a long line before that 500 years where he was walking with the Lord. How did Noah find favor with God? Because that's really the question for us tonight. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, that you believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, and you've accepted that, you believed in him as your Lord and Savior, hopefully your desire is that you want to live a long life of pleasing the Lord. So how do you seek the favor of God? Let's learn about Noah. These are the generations of Noah, so the generations of Noah were all corrupt. Noah was a righteous man. So that's the first thing we see about, about Noah. What does that mean? First of all, he wasn't perfect. <laughs> we know that for sure, because what? Romans 6, uh, 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody's perfect, not even Noah. So he had to, first of all, repent of his sin and turn to God. He had to realize that he needed God in his life, and for that reason, he needed to be close to God. So first of all, for us, what is our, if we want to live righteously, first of all, we have to realize that the sin is not just in the world, the sin is in us. We have to confess that immediately, and it's an ongoing thing. After you've received Christ into your life, you still have to confess your sin on a daily basis, not for salvation, but so that your relationship with God is not hindered. 
if someone uh, could grab me a water, I would really appreciate that. I don't know why. Thank you. I just don't know how to control my vocal cords yet. I am a beginner at this. I appreciate it. Um, so we're seeking God, the favor of God. And he is not perfect, but he was righteous in the sight of God, but also blameless in his generation. It wasn't the generation around him that said, oh, wow, look, he's blameless. The generation didn't like him. He was blameless in the sight of who? In the, in the sight of God. He was blameless in the sight of God. That meant that he was pretty good at obeying the words of God. He was so good at ignoring sin, ignoring the generation around him, and doing the things that were pleasing to God. That's called obedience. We don't like the word, but it's actually a beautiful word because it means that we're doing something right. But then, so... Let's think about the things that were going on in this time. People were, um, were intermarrying with people they weren't marrying. They were, there was polygamy was going on strong during that time as well. And, um, and we also see that there's violence going on. So he had to separate himself, not from just, okay, that group of people isn't good, so I'm going to be with this, this good group of people. I need to find fellowship in the place that has good people that I can surround myself with. He had to separate himself from the world. And do you know what he did even more so? He kept his family close too. He's an incredible guy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, okay. Oh, I have been saved. Give it up for Tanya. Thank you. Uh, so, all right. So, we're seeking the favor of God. Here's the last thing in that verse. Look at uh, verse... Uh, Nine, he's, he was blameless in generation, but this is the most important thing. Look at the last part of it. What does it say? Noah did what with God? Noah walked with God. That is not something that he did once and checked it off. It's a continuous thing that he's doing with the Lord. What would happen, what would you think if I went to the beach with, with Rachel and Rachel said, hey, let's go take a walk on the beach? I'm like, absolutely, that's what we're on vacation for. I grab my sunglasses, I grab my lotion because I don't want to burn and I also grab a lounging chair and go to the water's edge flip that thing out and I'll lay out we were supposed to go on a walk down the beach and I'm like well we walked to the water's edge we went from the house to here you can walk I'll be here that's a lot of times what we do in the Christian life that wasn't the walk that wasn't the plan God wants us to walk do you know what that means is there's a relationship there that there's actually more to life than just, oh, I've, I've done this. This is what Christians do. I check that. I check that. No. When I'm walking with Rachel, it's, we're, we're talking. There's a relationship going on as we're having that activity. Well, this is a lifelong activity that God invites us to be a part of, and he wants us to walk with God. That's what Noah did. He sought the favor of God. There's a lot of things that you and I already know how to do them. There's a lot of, this, is, this is where it becomes personal to me. I don't necessarily know what God wants to do with my life yet. So I'm still kind of looking that that's kind of where this process is, where I'm taking steps that I don't really know what, to, what I'm doing at all. But I know there's a lot of things that God has already told me to do. First of all, I know that I was supposed to get baptized as soon as I give my life to Christ, not for the sake of getting my sins washed away, but as a step of obedience to represent to the world that I've given my life to Christ and I'm proud about it. And I want everybody else to do it too. So baptism is an amazing thing. He also tells us that we're supposed to have the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is awesome because it reminds me of Jesus Christ, that his blood and, and body. So I have the baptism and I have 
uh, the Lord's Supper, which are ordinances. I know that I'm supposed to evangelize with the world. I'm supposed to spend time with God and the word and prayer, and I know that I'm supposed to disciple others. All those things, if you do them, there's never going to be a time where you go and share the gospel with someone and wonder, I wonder if that was God's will. Why? Because it's clear. It's in the Bible. There's never going to be a time where you're discipling someone in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord, and you think, hmm, I wonder, if, I wonder if I'm supposed to be doing this. So all those things are very clear for us. Yes, there's wisdom in how and what time and how you do those things. You can't say yes to absolutely everything. But all those things are in God's word. But, but there's some things that God will tell you specifically. A mission that doesn't apply to anybody else, it applies to you. And that's what happened in, to Noah in this in this passage. So first of all, you have to understand sin as God defines it. You have to seek favor with God. That means that you're walking with God. But thirdly, you need to discover the mission of God. A lot of people are waiting for God to get on their mission. That's not the way this works. God has already got a mission from before time began. What we need to do is get on God's mission. Discover the mission of God. Look at verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupt their way on the earth. It's no coincidence, I'm interrupting real quick from the passage, it's no coincidence that the person God brought into this plan was the guy who was walking with him. The only person walking with God is the one that is on the inside of God's plan. God, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourselves an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 30, 300 cubits. Its breadth is 50 cubits. And its height is 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubic above and set the door of the ark on its in its side, make it with lower and second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So discover God's mission. What is the mission that God has for you? What was the mission for Noah? First of all, it was to build an ark, and it was an incredible ark. It was this boat that was so large that no boat was ever, it, no boat even compared to the size of this ark until the late 1900s. It's ginormous. And it, the purpose was to preserve mankind, preserve the animals as well, because God was going to do a worldwide flood. We sent out a 23-minute video in an email a couple weeks ago. I'd encourage you to watch it. It is very, very insightful on how it matches up to everything we see in our geology structure. I don't have time to go into it tonight, nor do I remember everything that happened in that video, so that's much easier just to have you go and, and watch it. But discover the mission of God. It was an incredible, it was, it was a God-sized mission. Noah did not have what it took. I'm sure that he was 500 years old by now. Maybe he had had a life-long pursuit of being a carpenter. That's not the same as making a ginormous boat. There's a couple things that uh, I found really interesting. Modern shipbuilders have studied the instructions of the ark, and have said that the ark design represented an advanced, uh, advanced knowledge of shipbuilding. 
go figure, because God made it, and so there's that. And then, uh, but it's because of its length times width times height was vertically, so it was virtually impossible to capsize. To do so would have tilted over 90 degrees in order for this structure to capsize. It's really incredible. There's a couple different things that I really like. They, they have um, different people say different things to help us understand how large this boat is. NASA could lay three space shuttles nose to tail on the Ark's deck. That's impressive. To float the Ark in an Olympic-sized swimming pool, you'd have to line up three large pools. Here's my favorite, the sheep illustration. If the average size animal was the size of a sheep, it means you could put 125,000 sheep in this Ark. Is this a man-sized dream? No. Only God could put this in Noah's head, explain how to do it, but also give him the power to do it. Only God could do it. But that wasn't the only thing. So yes, the ark is incredible, but that wasn't Noah's only purpose. Noah had this, um, this higher calling than just a boat builder, which is really impressive based on what we just saw. Second Peter 2, 5 says, Noah was called to preach. So God, if he did not even spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, what does he call Noah? A herald of righteousness. So God gave a timeline. He said that the world would be destroyed in, less, uh, in little over 100 years. That's how much time Noah had to both build the boat. But also, he was preaching. He was going out, and he did not want people to perish because God didn't want people to perish. So he's calling people and begging people to come inside this boat for over 100 years. I have two questions for you real quick. We're going to take a little pause from our Noah story. What has, God, what has God called you to do with your life? And I'm not talking about the normal things that everybody's called to. We already talked about those. If you're walking closely with the Lord, what is specific to your story? You, ha- you are designed specially by God for a great purpose because God has designed each of us differently with different ca- capacities with different talents, what did God call you to do? Here's my second question real quick. Are you ready? Are you prepared to do what God's called you to do? Sometimes God will give you an idea of what you're supposed to do, but the first step towards completing that idea is actually preparation. Noah had to prepare for the boat in order for it to float. Sometimes you have to actually, if you're called to disciple someone, which all of us are, you have to go and be discipled. If you're going to be evangelizing, you have to go and be taught how to to evangelize. If you're going to do anything, like those are things that all of us are supposed to do, but I I can't tell you what God's called you specifically to be doing. I will say this, though. It won't contradict all the things that all of us are supposed to be doing. So if you say, hey, I'm supposed to actually lie on my bed for the rest of my days. That's what I've called it. That's going to be suspicious. I don't, I don't think we'll buy that one. Um, so that's not it. But are you ready? So when you're walking in step of God, your life can change the world. I, this is an excellent example of this, and it felt just right if we consider the life of Martin Luther King Jr. He was born on January 15th, 1929, and he was a brilliant man who loved God. We just 
He's on my mind fresh, and I'm sure he is on yours too, because that was just this last Monday, that, we, that he's a guy who actually has a day um, dedicated to him. My dad, I was talking to him on the phone, he was like, yeah, all the presidents have to share a day. He gets his own one. I was like, very true. So he actually did, God used him in an incredible, incredible way. In this picture, he's in front of the Lincoln Memorial, right? And he's 34 years old. God called him to a specific thing, and he was faithful. It wasn't because he had 100 years to do it. It's because he was convinced that through his walk with God, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do with his life, and God used him in an incredible way. Only five years later, he was shot. He only had 39 years to accomplish everything he accomplished, and I think all of us would agree he did it well. He really taught us um, what it means to stand up for what you know is right, no matter the cost. And you know, he reminds me of Noah. Because Noah did the same thing. He, he was uh, called to, to do a specific thing. He was called to build an ark, and everybody ridiculed him, and nobody followed him. I think sometimes you and I, under a uh, false sense of humility, maybe, we don't rise to the level that we're supposed to rise in our life because we just kind of say, well, that's, that's not for me. I'm not supposed to, like, I'm, my life can't possibly mean that much. I'm just, it's just me. So on the other hand, there's the other side that, it's, that you're actually right about that. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. And that's the key. Noah could not build that ark, but God, through him, built the ark. What does God want to do with you? There's another question we have to ask, though, is what does it mean to be successful on the mission that God's called you to? And that's where we kind of get to my point tonight, that it's not about numbers. In, in this ministry, for instance, it's not about how many people we can cram into this room, which we do want to bring more people because every chair that we see should be a reminder to us that somebody out there needs us. But that's not the point. It's faithfulness. If we are called to do the things that God has called us to do, then we are faithful. Think about Noah. Noah preached for over a hundred years for people to repent, turn from their sins, and come to the boat. That was the message, that God is a righteous God who does not tolerate sin. And do you know who showed up? His family, his wife, his sons, his sons' wives. I would not want to put that on my resume, especially right now. I wouldn't even want to tell my grandma that that happened to me. Did, did Noah mess up? <laughs> did Noah lose in the life, in the life that he was given? Did he fail? God said he didn't. God put him in the hall of fame that we call Hebrews 11, and that's what, what Rachel read at the beginning. That's where Noah's name is. Nobody turned from their sin. Nobody joined him in the, in the boat. So how can we call that faithful? It's because Noah did what was up to him. He was faithful with what God gave him. He listened. He walked with God. He listened to what uh, God had for him. He rejected the world, and he claimed the life that only God could give him. And he was faithful. There are amazing things about this story. The flood, the flood was incredible. 
the animals that all came to the, the ark is incredible. But do you know what's fascinating? We can sometimes get so distracted by all these things that happen, which they're all very important. They should have their time. But the most important thing that's fascinating is how did God, how did uh, Noah do it? How did he stay faithful? How did he not just dis- get discouraged? How did he not just get into his feels? And how did he not just reject God altogether and follow the ways of the world? That's what's incredible about this. So how did he do it? Look at verse 18. This is the key. This is God speaking to Noah. But I will establish my covenant with you. That's the first time covenant is ever mentioned in the Bible. God is starting a covenant with Noah. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And if every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark. Keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every short, uh, sort shall come to you and keep them alive. You shall take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Verse 22, Noah did this, He did all that God commanded him. Here's the fourth way that you live faithfully before the Lord. You depend on the promises of God. God gave Noah a promise. The floods were going to come, but he was going to be safe. And you know what? We have a huge advantage over Noah. We know God in a completely different way. We know we're on this side of our salvation of the, the Jesus has come. Noah was just looking forward to the Messiah. We've seen that the Messiah has come. He died and rose again. We understand so much more than Noah did, but Noah was faithful in what he knew, and he delivered on that. What's the key for us? We have to plant ourselves so firm. We have to be completely convinced in the promises of God. What happens if your community dissolves? What happens if everybody around you rejects God altogether? What happens to you? Is that where you're planted? Or are you planted on the solid promises of God that he has redeemed you as a child of God, that you are, you are holding on tightly to 1 John 1, 9, that, if, that whatever sin that you confess, he immediately forgives, just like that, that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is someday coming back again, that judgment is coming again, but if you give your life to Christ right now, that you are not part of the ones who are condemned, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Those are the kind of promises that we plant. No matter everybody around you falls away, it doesn't matter, because you are not, you are not anchored into any sole person. You are, entered, you are anchored into God and his promises because he always delivers. He delivered to Noah, he'll deliver to you. Here's some action steps to help us. First of all, a good way to do it is to search your heart for unrepented sin. You will not get further along in your relationship with Christ. You will quickly be knocked over if... uh, if you are still dwelling in your sin, you have to be completely convinced that the life that God has for you is much better than anything the world can ever offer you. When there's something that you feel like uh, 
when you ever feel like there's nothing else to work on, that's a good place to start. Just ask the Lord to show you your sin and he'll open your eyes. Don't celebrate what God has condemned. Every day you are having things that are coming, information, information. You're having all these great stories that come up as uh, shows on Netflix, but they have a narrative. It's not worth it. You don't need to know the end of the story. You really can't just shut it off because it's not worth it to have your mind filled with things to where you're enjoying the sins of others. It's not worth it. Music, it's not worth it to enjoy the artistic ability of people if they're giving you garbage in your head. You are, we're weak. We are going to fall into the things that we spend most time in. Separate yourself for the Lord. Obey the Lord in what you already know. There's so much you already know. You are filled with information. Um, it's very nice to be talking to a group of people that I know most of them. It's welcome to the people I don't know. I hope to meet you someday. But a lot of people I see, you know so much. Be faithful to what you already know, but then be faithful to the mission of God that God calls you, that's unique to you, that's biblical and it's guided by God and it's under the wisdom of the people around you, but be faithful to that mission as long as you're on it. Sometimes that mission changes, but start when God tells you to start and end it only when God tells you to end it. And fifthly, hold fast to the promise of God and don't don't let go. <laughs> Don't let go. Be faithful to the end. What if Noah had given up on that ark before the floodwaters came? No, you be faithful till God calls you home. And you, as we saw, like, we don't know how long we have, but be faithful until God calls you home or if he comes back tonight. Be faithful. God's never going to flood the world again. But judgment is coming. If you're here tonight and you haven't given your life to Christ, that's your first step. These aren't your first steps. Your first step is just give your life to Christ. I want to be like Noah tonight, and I want to plead with you to come to the only door that is salvation, and that's Jesus Christ, who died for us, who gave his life for us so that we wouldn't have to pay that price. He died. We know that the wages of sin is death, like we just saw that, but it's not for us, for those who can claim Jesus as our Savior, the one who went before us, and we ask him to come into our life and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We know that we have, so that remembering the sin and seeing sin as God sees it. Coming back around full circle, the world is saying, that you just have to have your own truth and believe in it and go with it. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus. Only Jesus is going to give you the salvation that you need. God's judgment is coming, but his salvation has already come. And if you want to give your life to Christ today, there's a lot of people in here who are ready to, to walk you through that. It's a simple process of talking to God, confessing your sin, believing that Jesus died and rose for, again for you, and you pray that to God and confess him as your Lord and Savior. So there's a lot of people, maybe to the left and right of you, you could start up that conversation with them, and they can lead you in that, um, in that introduction to our Heavenly Father because it's about a personal relationship with God. Or you can talk to a Tanya, her cross, and I as well. But for those of you who are saved, just as we would never want someone who came here without Christ to walk away just not thinking about it, what about us? What about the rest of our lives and what God wants to do with us? Are we going to ignore that? No, no, no. <laughs> That's not the way it has to end. We can walk closely with God. 
we have the choice. We have the power to do the things that we know to do, and we have the power to listen and be faithful what God has us to do in the future.